Welcome everyone to the Branch Podcast. Whether you're here in Grand Rapids or you're halfway around the world, we are so glad to have you with us and we hope and trust that the conversations that we have together will not only help us receive God's love for us, but empower us to be people of love in the world. In this podcast, we continue our look at vocation as Teresa invites us to consider not only the ways in which living out our vocation can change the world, but the ways in which living out our vocation changes us. Vocation is a lot broader than what I thought as as I was growing up. I thought that vocation was this job, this career, that you had to find the exact right job for you to live into your God-given calling. My view on vocation has expanded greatly from that. Vocation, as we saw in week one, involves all of life, your whole self and your whole life. And knowing who we are is so important because everything we do flows out of who we are. Last week, we talked about shalom. This is, if you listened to the podcast that Chris and I did this week, you heard me say, shalom is my favorite word in the Hebrew language. It is this beautiful word that encompasses so much more than just peace. It is wholeness and completeness. Bringing shalom to the world is certainly not passive. Bringing shalom to the world around us, as Chris talked about last week, involves our action. And when we act, we're able to bring shalom to the people around us, but also to the systems and the institutions that are full of anti-shalom practices. Shalom is about relationships. It's about restoring the way relationships are supposed to be. Relationships with other people, with creation, with God, and even with ourselves. You see, shalom is not only what we bring to the world around us. Shalom is also a gift that we receive. Because the vocation God has given you will always lead toward shalom for others, for creation, for ourselves. This picture is a few years old. Look at those little people, my goodness. Um, this was taken on June 4, 2015. This was the day that we moved from Joliet, Illinois to West Michigan. There were a lot of tears that day and in the weeks leading up to that day. We were, of course, excited of the opportunities that awaited us here, but the people that we lived around had become our family. We lived a lot of life together in the nine years that we lived in this house. But when we first moved in, we didn't know anybody. We found a house that we could afford in the Chicago suburbs as young newlyweds, quite a feat, I might add. Um, and as we started to get to know the people around us, we wondered if maybe we made a mistake in the area that we chose because the people did not look like us. They didn't act like us. They didn't believe like us. But we had a mortgage, so we were stuck there, right? And so we kept showing up with these people. 
And over time, we began to realize that those differences that we thought were so big weren't really that big at all. And then we realized that these people had so much to teach us. Those dear neighbors brought me to a place of shalom. In my everyday mundane life, I was being formed and shaped by those interactions. Those people helped me understand more fully who I am and who God calls me to be. They would have never used that language, but that's absolutely what, I, what they did. I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't had that experience with those people. So let's take a look today at a story from the Bible where an ordinary mundane task brought shalom to a woman who desperately needed it. If you have a Bible or a device in front of you, I'm gonna be in John four today. We're gonna to look at a good chunk of this, so keep it nearby. Uh, for now, we're gonna start with uh, verse four and we'll read through verse 18. And I have to move you all, sadly, off the side of my screen. There, bye. Eventually, he, Jesus, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Well, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Okay, I promise this is not where we're stopping for the day, but I want to pause here and look at a couple of things. First, um, just a little history about wells in the first century. Women were the only people who were allowed at the well because it was their job to collect the water. Men were not allowed to show up there. The women did it. And we won't talk about gender roles, but another day. Um, so this kind of became a gathering place for women. They would show up at morning and at evening and collect water for, for the day for their families. It's kind of like 
you meet at the coffee station or the water cooler in the office when those things were allowed and safe to do so. This became that gathering place and a place of community. And because it was the desert, it happened morning and evening, not midday. So there are a couple of strange things in this text. First, the woman is alone. And second, she's collecting water in the middle of the day. Why? Well, that answer comes in the verses where we just stopped in 16 to 18. This woman has had five husbands and she's living with the man she's not married to now. Normally, when we look at this story, we hear something like, oh, look at this woman with this with this really hard past. But Jesus meets her anyway. And yes, that is absolutely true. God will meet you no matter what your past is, no matter what your present is. But for this story, there's there's a little bit more to it. In the first century, a woman wasn't allowed to divorce a man. So either she has either been divorced and tossed aside, or she has lost her husband to death five times. And if that's not bad enough, now she's seen as undesirable because she's had so many husbands, even though it was of no choice of her own. But it was also virtually impossible for this woman to survive on her own. Women couldn't survive on their own at that time. And so she took what she could get. She was living with a man who offered her some sense of protection and care. So this isn't necessarily a woman with a sordid past. This is a woman who has experienced great trauma and was told by culture that she was worthless. Jesus knew all of this. He knew the cultural norms. He did not approach this woman to criticize or condemn her like society did. But he sat at the well and he talked with her. This woman likely spent much of her time alone, but Jesus spent time with her and spoke to her. Jesus treated her with dignity. And then he offered her a gift, a new life, a full, deep, rich life rooted in the love of God. He offered her shalom. So can you see it just a little bit clearly, a little bit more clearly now? The woman had a job to do. My screen's going wonky. Hold on. The woman had a job to do. There we go. She walks up to the well knowing that she has to collect water but she sees Jesus. So she gathers all of her courage and approaches the well anyway, because she knows she does not want to go when the rest of the women are there. And then Jesus talks to her. At first, she thinks, why is he doing this? But again, she gathers her courage and engages in a conversation, a conversation that she has no idea will restore her God-given identity. In her everyday mundane task of getting water from the well, 
she was transformed. Imagine going so long believing the lies that culture tells you about who you are. And then an encounter with Jesus reminds you or maybe teaches you for the first time of who you are. This happens in big and small ways all the time. Opportunities for shalom show up in our everyday activities, in our work, and in our interactions with others. When we moved into that house in Joliet, I believed certain things about myself and how I was supposed to show up in the world. If I'm being really honest, I'll admit to you that I didn't think I was supposed to associate with those people who were so different from us. But I kept showing up to them. Partially because I had no choice, I ran into them at the mailbox, at the bus stop. But the more that happened, the more I wanted to show up. Jesus taught me a whole lot about who I was in those interactions with my neighbors. And as I kept showing up, I was able to let go of the person who I thought I was supposed to be and embrace the person that God created me to be. God did some serious work in my heart during that time. God was offering me shalom. This happens in smaller ways too. When I'm in class at the seminary, a classmate says something that causes a strong reaction in me. And in those moments, I have a choice to make. I can either simply respond based on the, on the reaction that I feel or I can take a moment to be curious as to why I responded that way. Often, I can identify something within me that caused the reaction, and I choose not to say something. Other times, I realize that that reaction is good, and I need to say something, and I need to act. So that curiosity sometimes keeps me from saying something I'd regret later but sometimes it leads me to action. And always, I learn something about myself. Let's go back to the Samaritan woman. We'll pick it up at verse 25 here. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back, came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people, came streaming from the village to see him. And then down to verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves 
now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Shalom for this woman meant freedom. Freedom to be who she was. She was finally free to be who Jesus said she was and not who culture said she was. She's free to use her voice that was silenced before. And she used it to lead others to meet the Messiah. She was free to be with people again. At the beginning of this story, she was alone. And at the end, she was the one who brought shalom to others. And the people of the village are speaking to her with gratitude. Her transformation wasn't for her alone. But because of her encounter with Jesus, because she experienced shalom, she was able to bring shalom to the world around her. That woman's story doesn't end there. We don't hear about it, but she offered much to the world after that day. Ours doesn't end the moment we experience shalom either. We are constantly being transformed and renewed. That will always be true. But the more we know about ourselves and the more we trust who God says we are, the more we are able to bring shalom to the world. It's both and, right? We experience shalom. And then we want that for the world around us. It's not this straight line of receiving and then giving. It's more like those lines that you see on the bottom of the screen, back and forth receiving and giving over and over and over again with so many different intersections. So often I think we put ourselves only in Jesus' shoes in this story that we read today. And that's a good place to start. If we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be people who live as Jesus lived in the world, then yes, we should be the people who bring shalom to others, especially those on the margins of society. But I think there's something that we can learn too by placing ourselves in this woman's shoes. Now, those of us who are white, middle-class, cisgendered people do not know what it's like to live on the margins of society. But we do know what it's like to live with a false sense of our own identity. We do know what it's like to have cultural norms placed upon us. And we know what it's like to think we're defined by those cultural norms. And so sometimes we need to carve out some space to go sit at the well with Jesus. We need those times of stillness, whatever that looks like for you. But sometimes in the middle of our everyday life, in the middle of our work, we encounter Jesus in unexpected places. And in those moments, if we are willing to pay attention and engage, we experience shalom.
our calling friends, our vocation is both and. To be people who receive the grace of shalom over and over and over again. And to be people who bring that to the world around us. In the next couple of minutes, we're going to listen to a song with some familiar words. It is a prayer of St. Francis, make me an instrument of your peace. And as we listen to that, I invite you to simply reflect on the ways that you have either received God's shalom or the ways that you have given it to the world. Offer a prayer of gratitude for those moments and for those people or maybe you desperately need shalom this week. And as we listen to this song, ask God to show you the places where you can receive it. Let me pray, and then we'll listen to this song. <laughs> 